I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have as yet discovered. I'm a superhero, I'm a, a real life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become the hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. It's TRB Unleashed. Oh my goodness. I am so excited about today's conversation. I've been talking about this episode for a few weeks now. This episode is going to change your life a bit. Today, you're going to be hearing from Kristen Harness, the founder and CEO of an organization that helps girls and women recover from sexual trauma, even sex trafficking. It's shocking. It's intense. It's powerful. And it's hopeful. Let's rock it. Welcome back to The Real Brian Show. Thanks for joining me today. Got a TRB Unleashed episode here. It's powerful. Oh my gosh. So as I mentioned in the intro, this is uh, this is some real stuff today. And I highly recommend that every single person on this planet hears this episode. Now, here's the thing though. If you have some younger ears around, you may or may not want them to listen to this yet. I would recommend you listen to this first and then make a decision as to whether or not they're ready to hear this. But I, I, oh my gosh, I mean, I would seriously recommend that every single person hear this at some point when they're ready. So yes, this content, it's real. It's raw. It's shocking. However, as it is with The Real Brian Show, it's not explicit. It's not inappropriate. And we certainly don't go into any graphic details of any kind. But it's intense. So check it out. Here's the thing, though. This kind of content is the kind of stuff that I just absolutely have been waiting to share for a long time because it's stuff that I believe everybody should know about. And I I honestly believe that most people have no clue as to really what's happening here. You might have an idea, but I think you'll be surprised. So I hope you find that this episode is incredibly intense and powerful and encouraging. Uh, And I really do hope it changes your life a little. I really do. Let's get into it. Kristen Harness. She's the founder and the CEO of Extended Hands of Hope and Good Heart Collaborative. She's incredibly passionate about speaking out against injustice, providing care and healing options for girls and women who have experienced sexual trauma, and building community for the incredibly brave and resilient women who have careers in helping others. She has a stubborn vision to see a future where girls and women are free from abuse, judgment, guilt, shame, and fear. Yes, 100% agreed. Let's get into it. Kristen, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And we've been talking for quite some time to bring you on and share everything that's going on. Of course, uh, Sarah and I are huge supporters of what you do at Extended Hands of Hope. We can't give as much as some people, but we're you no, know, you guys we're are amazing. there. <laughs> yes. We're there with you. Well, we really believe in what you're doing. And obviously I shared a little bit in the intro, but I would love to hear a little bit of a background of Extended Hands of Hope, what you're currently doing. But before we do that, before we do mm-hmm. that, this is so important. This is like one of the most important questions ever is what are you nerding out on right now? Oh gosh. <laughs> uh yeah, pretty much uh, consumed with Extended Hands of Hope, trying to get my two kids through virtual schooling, but oh, yeah. My biggest kind of passion project right now is my new business that I'm starting, which is a for-profit business called Good Heart Collaborative. And I'm actually in the process of learning how to start my own podcast and oh, yeah. develop and launch an app. 
cool. That's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's really fun just because I'm I'm super passionate about it. I typically don't get involved in things unless I, you know, have a heart connection to it and then I'm all nice. in. So it's something that just really excites me and I'm excited to to see kind of where it goes in the next few months. Well, that is by the way, that's the way it should be done. You have that passion that you can't let go. So then right. you're all in, which that's I was just going to say like how are you going to do this? You're you're running you're running a nonprofit. You're going to start a for-profit. You're going to start a podcast and you're going to figure out how to create an app. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, recommend it. I don't recommend it. It's not healthy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just how I operate, you know, like with Extending Hands of Hope, I am obviously incredibly passionate about helping these girls and raising awareness about trafficking. I'm incredibly passionate about with Good Heart Collaborative, helping other women who have careers helping others. So I kind of feel obligated, you know, I kind of feel uh, like... I've got the means to be able to to help others and I want to do that. And, and so I'm going to do everything I can. And at the same time, I'm going to make sure that I make space, plenty of space for my kids and my family. And it's working out. That's awesome. Yeah. I like what you said. You feel obligated. I feel like everybody feels obligated for something, but people will ask you like, why do you do that? And mm-hmm. I, I like that. I feel obligated to, and it's not like a, I have to you know, mm-hmm. or, or I should or something. It's more of a, I get to, I want to, but I feel obligated because it's, it's like a calling. Yeah. In some oh, ways. absolutely. That's yeah. so cool. I, I don't have to, by any means, I could pretend that sex trafficking doesn't exist or I could just know about it, but not want to do anything about it. I could know about the women out there that you never hear about their stories, but they're doing amazing things, mm-hmm. never do anything about it, never support them. And that's fine. You know, I could still live a, a really great life and, and probably be semi-happy doing other things. But for me, I just, I feel obligated because of the position that I'm in, knowing where I came from, knowing that there were people brought into my life that helped me through my times of of hardship. Mm -hmm. And so I feel obligated to pay it back, pay it forward, you know, return that favor to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this is not entirely all true story or whatever, but when the movie Taken with Liam Neeson came out in 2008, Mm -hmm. That was probably my first actual exposure of, you know, what was really going on behind the scenes. And, you know, at the time I was reading about it and I'm like, is this really real? Is this true? And what I read was, is that, yes, there are truths to this. It may not be 100%. Of course, it's Hollywood, but there are truths to this. Stuff like this is actually happening. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I -hmm. thought this was pure Hollywood. Well, right about that time was when I also heard about the organization called U-Count, which was Mm -hmm. just starting to get kind of known in the area. So that was around 2008, 2009. That was my first exposure to this whole world of sex trafficking. And here's what's really going on and all that. We found Extended Hands of Hope and, you know, we've been supporting you guys and obviously believing 100% in what you do, but definitely give us a little background on what you're doing there. Yeah, I find that interesting that you mentioned the movie Taken. I love the movie Taken. I'm not a fan of Taken 2 or Taken 3. <laughs> not as good. But as I think they could have maybe left it at Taken. I agree. But it's a really good movie. It's interesting because it kind of makes me cringe when people hear sex trafficking and they automatically think of the movies like Taken. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of their view. But, you know, it's a positive thing if it awakens somebody to the subject matter of sex trafficking and kind of opens up that door for them to move forward to learn more about it. It definitely has some aspect of truth to it. It typically doesn't look like that here in the United States, but definitely internationally. But at Extended Hands of Hope, you know, our mission is to offer safe housing, supportive services 
to survivors of sex trafficking. So we do that through Avanti House, which is a safe home for girls ages 11 to 17. And those girls can stay for however long they really need to stay. So it could honestly be 24 hours and it could be for up to 24 months. We've had a couple kiddos stay for over a year, but typically they stay at Avanti for like maybe around six months. And while they're there, they're going through school, they're going through our treatment program. It's Our program is really focused on restoration and restorative healing and kind of intensive treatment while they're there. And so we've got a lot of staff that take care of them 24-7 around the clock. They do things like recreational activities, life skills, group therapy, individual therapy, family therapy, all that kind of good stuff. It's just about having a safe place for them to go where they can relax, they can rest, they can feel like a kid, they can experience what it means to be a kid. I mean, we're, we're talking about really young girls, okay? Mm-hmm. We have 12-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls. You know, we had one girl, she was 15, we brought her to the park and she's like, this is the first time I've ever been on a swing at a park. Wow. Like I've never been able to do that. The average person, it just like blows our mind. We're like, how is that possible that you're a child has never been at a park before? But so many of these kids, they just, they haven't been able to have a childhood that's been mm. taken from them and stolen from them. So Avanti has super cool, really near and dear to my heart. And it's the reason why we started extending hands of hope. There was there was no housing. Avanti House was the first house in the Denver metro area specifically for this population. Mm-hmm. And then we also have two community-based programs. And one community program is specifically for girls who transition out of Avanti House so that we can continue to offer them support, care, mentoring, advocacy, and just really continue to be there in their life and to be that support person. Because even sometimes mm-hmm. when they leave, they don't always go back to the most supportive sure. household. And so sometimes our community advocate, she's like the most positive person that they have in their life. So yeah. it's really awesome. And there's really no time frame on it. They can stay in the community program for however long that needs to happen. And, and also our mentoring program. We have a mentoring program called Carriers of Hope. And so that's with volunteer mentors. And so that program can really last however long it needs to last, you know, healing from, from sex trafficking, especially as a child, it's, it's really going to be a lifelong journey for sure. Ups and downs, you know, it's not linear. So they need people in their life. And then we also have a personal and professional development program for adult survivors, 18 to 30. So that's something we just launched in basically June of 2019. So we're still kind of learning that program. We had some changes due to COVID, but the women are still in the program, working on their GEDs and going through therapy and that kind of stuff too. So so some really good things happening. You know, I'm so glad to to hear you say though, you know, you're bringing them in and you're helping them initially, but then you're not kind of like, cool, you graduated. Welp, see you later. You know, like that's, that's how a lot of programs are. You're yeah. saying, no, let's journey with you throughout your life if you need it, which yeah, that's so, so important. important. Yeah. It, it really is. And we really stick to smaller numbers at Avanti House. We have no more than five girls at a time. Mm-hmm. And we do all that on purpose because a lot of times in the nonprofit world, you're, everyone is just so stuck on numbers, <laughs> right? They just want to hear, yeah. oh, we helped 300 people and oh, yeah. 
And it's like, you know, that's awesome. Some nonprofits like that makes sense for their mission, right? Like reaching 300, reaching 3000, that makes sense for them. But for us, it was more about like quality Mm -hmm. over quantity. And so we know what they've gone through. We know how long it can take to heal from this. And we would much rather be able to have more time with them, provide more services and have a smaller amount of girls go through our program and actually make an impact in their life than just have like, just to be able to say like, oh yeah, we had, you know, a hundred girls in the home, but where are they now? You know, I wish there was a happy ending to all of the girls. Some of them, we, we can't, they don't enroll in our community program when they leave because their parents deny permission to it for, Mm -hmm. for several reasons. But when we can, it's there and they're always welcome. That's good. So what happened? I mean, you, you see them go away and like, that's it. You kind of don't hear from them again or some of them. Yeah. I mean, cause again, keep in mind, we're working with minors sure. and so like we don't have custody over them. And so if they leave our home and the parents do not want them to be enrolled in our community program, or they don't want to talk to us afterwards, then we like, we literally can't oh, too bad. reach out to them. Cause yeah. that, that, you know, that's a problem. Sure. And, and some parents, a lot of them are fine, but, and they don't always go back to parents, you know, it, it depends on where they go, but whoever their guardian is, sometimes they, you know, they feel like they don't, they don't want help. They don't mm-hmm. want our help, not because our help is not beneficial, but because of just whatever's kind of going on in their life. And, and maybe they're still working through some trauma or whatever too. And, and so they're, it can be complicated, but yeah, some, some, we, we don't, we don't always hear from where, you know, all of them are at after they leave Avanti house, but a lot of them we do. Good. You know, you bring up the numbers and that is, that's frustrating to me too, because I, I see that in the world of podcasting. I see that. I mean, everything, everybody Mm -hmm. is concerned with mass numbers Mm -hmm. rather than changed lives. And I don't get, I mean, I understand it's like, okay, business requires numbers, right? So they were like, okay, well, if we're going to give you this grant, then therefore we have this guideline that you have to have so many numbers, you know, and it's just some dumb rule that somebody made up. And of course it looks good on paper. I'm doing air quotes over here. But the reality is, is like, you know, changed lives. I mean, I I look at this in like churches when a church is massive, it doesn't mean that they're changing lives. They Mm -hmm. may look cool and they may have a lot of numbers and all that, but how many lives are actually being changed in the moment? Because can you, you know, I mean, how many people can you actually help once your group gets too big. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm with you on this too. I, and in fact, I, I appreciate That's the true. fact that you guys are on the level of let's change a life at a time mm-hmm. and you have a max number, like this is all you're going to help right now so that you can change these lives. That just makes sense. Yeah. So Yeah, it, it's so important. We, we actually lost a grant in February mm-hmm. strictly because they said we didn't quote unquote help enough people at one time. Wow. And that was really frustrating to me because, you know, I'm obviously a little biased, but I just feel like if, if you're so concerned, you know, like, where's your heart in all this? If you're, you're more concerned about being able to tell people that your money went towards numbers instead of actually looking at some changed lives of children that are being sex trafficked, that's a problem for me. So, and that it's just so prevalent in a lot of foundations and in a lot of, you know, major giving. And so I've had to do a lot of just education around why we stay small, you know, the, just the complex trauma that these kids are going through and what they actually need 
in their lives. And some people, you know, it's changed their view on it and others, you know, it hasn't and it is what it is, but it's frustrating. We know a family who foster children. Some of the kids they had clearly had emotional issues that they had to work through. And those weren't even girls that had been in sex trafficking. These were girls that had just dealt with some, you know, unfortunate home environments and, you know, now they're fostered and stuff like that. I can't even imagine what that family parenting, you know, multiple foster children had to deal with on a, on a regular basis, you know, trying to help these kids. Mm-hmm. And now you add into the, like you said, complex trauma of sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just emotional anymore. I can't even imagine how much work that these girls have to overcome. Essentially. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say work. That's not the right word. How much trauma, you know, and, and mm-hmm. destruction they have to overcome. That's yeah. not something you just say, well, cool. Let's, <laughs> let's get a hundred girls here and look, go for the best. I'm like, you got to work with these girls individually. There are so many factors that come into play. When you look at statistics, you'll hear a lot about more than 90% of sex trafficking survivors have a past history of sexual abuse. Hmm. Pretty much almost like a hundred percent of the girls we work with have a past history of sexual abuse wow. and neglect. And a lot of them come out of the foster care system and they've been to multiple homes and, or they've been homeless and, or they've been, you know, a victim or exploited by our justice system. I mean, there's so many factors. It's not even just that, oh yeah, they were, they were sex trafficked. It was like all these other things that these, these young girls are carrying with them. It's absolutely amazing to even see them take any steps towards healing. Like they're just so incredibly inspiring and resilient and strong. Mm. And it's, it's really amazing. But I think most people would be really shocked to hear just what has happened to these girls and what's going on in their lives. Yeah. I'd like to hear, I mean, when we met for lunch, it's, you know, been a couple months ago now, but you know, you would, you had said that you share quote shocking details of what's really going on. And I, I appreciated those actual words because you know, we're aware of it, but I think a lot of people have absolutely no idea. They're just like, wait, what? This is actually happening. You know, I'll talk to people about saying that Colorado is one of the capitals of Mm -hmm. sex trafficking and everyone's like, no, it's not. Uh, Yes, it is. And, and a lot of people, they bury their head in the sand and say, nah, this isn't, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna just pretend like this isn't happening. They do that. In fact, I've talked to people. They're like, it's not that bad. I'm I'm, no share what's going on. Yeah. Well, the reality is sex trafficking of minors is happening all over the United States and every state. Colorado has some of the highest instances of reported sex trafficking. There are literally thousands of young girls and boys, you know, under the age of 18 around Colorado that are being sex trafficked. If we want to just keep it real, they're being raped and sexually assaulted multiple times a day for somebody else's gain. You know, half the girls we work with have been trafficked by their own family members. So that could be a mom who sold her daughter at the age of 12 to men in exchange for drugs or a dad who is a part of a gang and used his daughter for initiation purposes for new gang members to come in. There was a dad who was selling his six-year-old daughter in Jefferson County out to men. Yeah, I don't even have to add hyperbole or shock value to it. The reality of it is as disturbing as it gets. Or there's kids, you know, I, I sat down with, like I mentioned, the foster care system. I sat down with one of the head honchos who kind of oversees all of the licensed group homes and foster homes around Colorado. And she said, you know, I need to get extended hands of hope into these homes 
there's I think there's like 241 or 243, she said, licensed homes that they oversee. And she's like, I need to get you guys in there to train these families about sex trafficking because I know for a fact that there's sex trafficking going on within these homes. And it's really disturbing to hear about the abuse, exploitation, and trafficking that's actually happening within licensed homes Mm -hmm. around here in Colorado. And there's a national statistic that talks about around 86% of sex trafficking victims come out of the foster care system. You know, in the general public, we kind of look at the foster care system or we look at the school system or we look at social services and we think, oh, you know, how could these kids be getting trafficked within those systems? Those are systems that are supposed to be helping these kids. And in fact, the reality is there's a lot of them that are doing, you know, quite the opposite. And so it's really disturbing. A lot of people ask like, well, you know, if there's so many kids you say that sex trafficking is hidden in plain sight. Why am I not seeing these kids anywhere? Yeah. And that's the trouble is, especially for people who have just scratched the surface and they don't quite understand what sex trafficking is because it does look different in different scenarios and different lives. But a lot of people are looking for kidnapping. They're looking for chains. They're well, if, if this is America, this is Denver. If they wanted to leave, they could leave. So mm. they must want to be involved in this. And oh, yeah. don't quite understand the all the factors that come into play, the manipulation and you know the familial trafficking and stuff. And it's hard to be able to explain that these kiddos are actually like all around us. They could be in our church service. They could be in our mm. youth service. If you are a medical professional, you're probably running into them in your medical practice, they're on the streets, they can be in your own home. I mean, there are cases where the girl was being recruited online because social media is now the number one way that traffickers recruit young young people. Yeah, there's like over 200 apps that traffickers use to gain access to a young person and sometimes in the comfort of their own, you know, Highlands Ranch home with mother and father, in the living room and their daughter is being recruited and groomed by a predator, by a trafficker. And, and there's cases like that all the time where girls who you wouldn't even think could be susceptible to being trafficked are being trafficked, are being exploited. So that's the thing is to just keep in mind that they look like regular teenage girls. You Mm -hmm. know, they don't always look like what we think. Pimps don't always look like what you think. They're not always walking around in purple robes and gold <laughs> chains with their cane. Yeah, yeah. You know, so keeping that in mind, it makes it harder to identify yeah. victims of trafficking, but it also kind of opens up your mind to the fact that now I'm understanding how these kids could really actually be all around me. You're saying that there's less kidnappings per se and more... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like you said, the families are are selling them and doing it, you know, and that's that's happening in areas. But you're even saying that like a normal family, healthy parents, everybody's fine. These girls are on social media and it's getting how are they? I don't know if I want to know all the details, to be honest, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out, like, how are they getting recruited through mm-hmm. social media if they're like their parents don't know about it? But it's because are they just talking with certain people or something. And then, yeah, but their parents they're, don't know what's going on is essentially what you're saying. 
Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, gosh. I mean, did your parents know everything that was going on in your life when you were a teenager? Well, probably not, but they were <laughs> they were more clued in, I think, than some parents these days. Yeah, a lot of parents aren't. Yeah, the thing about sex trafficking is it really can look several different ways. So kidnapping absolutely can happen. It's about less than 1% of the cases in the United States actually involve kidnapping. Wow. Okay. okay. I thought it was a lot more than that. Nope. It's, okay. it's, and that number comes from our law enforcement partners. So okay. yeah, it, there's not very many. Can it happen? Absolutely. But not typically. Okay. Another form of, of sex trafficking is what's considered survival sex. Mm-hmm. So you've got thousands of youth homeless on the streets in Denver, Fort Collins. I mean, everywhere. They're 15. They have a past history of abuse. They're on the streets. They were either kicked out of their home or they ran away from their home. They have no money. They have no shelter. And the only way that they know how to get shelter for the night or food for the night or to survive for that night is to exchange their body for Mm -hmm. sex. And there are buyers out there who will do that. And so that's another form of sex trafficking. And then, of course, there's gangs, you know, mm-hmm. gangs. You, you've probably heard this before, but a lot of gangs, obviously, they, you know, they sell drugs. Sure. But sure. you can only sell a drug one time. You can sell a human being over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's become a lot more profitable to sell these girls within these gangs here, here in Denver and all over the place. But there's also kiddos who are being groomed. Okay. So I, you're probably familiar with the word grooming. Mm-hmm. But this can be through social media. This can be even through a family friend, a neighbor. It could be, unfortunately, kids could be being groomed by a pastor, a youth Mm -hmm. leader. I mean, it just can happen anywhere. And it's a process. And if you're specifically going to talk about how do kids get recruited online, it's incredibly easy. Oh, wow. These kids are on so much social media and online all the time. They're getting messages. They're getting friend requests. They're sharing a lot of their personal information through social media. And that's what traffickers look for. They look for vulnerabilities. Okay. That's what they prey upon. Wow. And kids, they're already vulnerable just for the simple fact that they're teenagers. They don't know. And so their age already makes them vulnerable. But now they're They're online. They're in this kind of secret space where traffickers are master manipulators. And so they're going to find something that they saw, a picture they saw or a message they saw on social media. And they're going to reach out. They're going to friend request, you know, your daughter. And then they're going to say, you know, something about like, oh, hey, I, I saw that you got into a fight with your mom. You were commenting about a fight with your mom. And that's a vulnerability that that trafficker can already use to gain access to a vulnerable place in that child's life and rush in to try to be that hero. And I say this with all respect. I say this through my own personal experience, but it's incredibly easy to manipulate a young 14-year-old girl. Mm. You know, 14-year-old girls are craving attention Mm, from men. And so one little hi or one little you're pretty and you've that girl is already very much interested Mm. and that's all it takes. And then they start the process of getting to know her, you know, starting that relationship and building that trust. 
And then it can move into meeting in person without you even knowing. It could be girls ditching school and going to meet or sneaking out of the house at night. We've heard that plenty of times. Being recruited in school, being groomed that way. And then it turns into what they think is a relationship over time. And then all of a sudden it turns into he switches on her and he says, I've been doing this stuff for you. I've been getting your nails done. I've been taking you out, buying you gifts. Now I need you to do this for me. If you love me, you'll do this for me. Wow. And you'd be surprised how many, like this happens all the time. Hmm. And so either the girls, you know, they don't want to do it, but they feel going back to, unfortunately to that word obligated, they feel obligated because you know, he's got a point. He's been doing this stuff for me or they actually love him and they're doing it in the, in the name of love because they think that he loves her mm. or there's violence now. Mm. And what law enforcement will call a Romeo pimp during the grooming process now turns into what can be considered a gorilla pimp, which means now he becomes violent. And so it's Okay, well, if you don't want to do this, you know, I know where you live. I know where your where your sister goes wow. to school. You know, I'm going to hurt your family, and so now it comes into threats. That happens a lot. You know, there's Romeo pimps and then there's gorilla pimps. And two years ago, I was sitting in sitting in a training with law enforcement, and they had 300 identified pimps in the Denver area alone. That's a lot of pimps out there preying on children. Yeah. And those are just the identified ones. You know, there's a lot of predators out there. So, so that's kind of how it can, it can turn out. Unfortunately, with our young people, there's this thing called sextortion. I don't know if you've heard of that, but mm -mm, no. gosh, this happens so much and it's really disturbing, but they get these kids to send them pictures of themselves, compromising pictures, and then they use it against them. And they oh, say, yeah. if you don't do what I say, then I'm going to, I'm going to show everybody on social media this picture of you. You know, with that threat, these girls will now do what they say and mm -hmm. be required to, they're raped by men, sometimes multiple times a day. And, and that can go on for years. Wow. And, and parents or guardians or school workers or medical staff, and they, they don't know. They don't even recognize that it's happening. And there are signs for sure that people can look out. Yeah, I was going to say there, there have to be signs. There are, but it's amazing how you can you can miss signs. And mm. I don't judge anybody, you know. I mean, sure. I think there's kind of a tendency in us to want to pretend something isn't actually happening that oh, yeah. we may think is happening or we, we don't quite know. But I think it's really important for parents, for guardians, for school staff, for people that are around kids a lot to really try to understand the signs so that if they see it happening, they can least look into it deeper because it doesn't always mean that they're being groomed or being trafficked, but what if they are, you know, and you had an opportunity to try to intervene and help them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really important piece is the education piece. Well, okay. What are some signs that we should be aware of? If you're a parent and your daughter or your son, of course, this happens to boys too, but I'm going to talk about girls just because that's who we work with. Mm -hmm. But your daughter you know, spends a lot of time online or is all of a sudden coming home with new clothes or a new purse or her nails done or her hair done, like new things like that happening. Mm -hmm. That can be an indication that there's somebody obviously in her life who is probably grooming her. Okay. And she probably is going to say, you know, that's 
or boyfriend. And so that's a huge red flag. If you notice any new tattoos, a lot of pimps will tattoo their victims with Mm. their name or with the word daddy or barcodes or all kinds of different things to kind of identify them as theirs. Um, That's a red flag. You know, typically if you have a relatively kind of healthy girl who now is being groomed and is being trafficked, there's things you can look out for like psychological implications, you know, if they're starting to suffer with depression and anxiety or mood swings or skipping school and that's not normal, that's something to definitely look into more because there might be something going on there. Okay. And then if you're like a medical staff or a school staff, there's things you can look at like absent from school or the things that I just mentioned as well, or they're sleeping in class or things that can just indicate that something is you know, going on that isn't normal for them. Um, Those are just things to be looking into. Sure. Wow. Okay. Of course, I didn't know most of what we, you know, you were mentioning this stuff and it's like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. I didn't know this was going on. And I can see some of the dads right now are like, okay, my daughters are done off social media. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They're never going to be on again. Just be aware and and, and notice. Like I, I constantly take my kids. First of all, we have filters on their phones. Good. So I see Everything that they do, they have time limits on everything that that they do. We've blocked all kinds of different websites. There's only, we've whitelisted only a few sites and apps that they can use. Anytime they know that we can take their phone, go in their phone and look at anything we want. And the minute that they try to deny us that right Mm -hmm. is when their phone will be taken away from them. And it's not because we're trying to micromanage them although they're 11 and 13 and I'll micromanage anything I want in their life, (laughs) but it's to keep them safe. We have an obligation as parents and as adults to keep these young people safe. And if that's how we have to do it, then that's how we have to do it. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is, it's shocking of course, but it's also disturbing to hear kind of how, how this goes down. And I'm shocked how prevalent it is, you know, movies like taken, mentioning that how you know it makes you cringe but it's like oh yeah somebody gets kidnapped in another country and it's like wow that's happening it's like no 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 this is significantly worse right this is far more prevalent right. and it's far easier to do something than it is in the movie taken and i thought and it's wow. harder it's harder to recognize that's the scary yeah. thing it, and taken i mean his daughter is kidnapped yeah like that's very easy to recognize he he sees her on you know, being displayed for somebody to purchase. Yeah. That's easy to see. What typically happens here is a lot harder to identify. And that's what makes it scarier yeah. is the fact that it it is hidden. We're just not recognizing it. And a lot of times we're not recognizing it because we're thinking about the movie Taken or we're thinking about mm-hmm. this image of what sex trafficking looks like and we're missing the real thing all around us. Yeah. Or we think, oh, it can possibly happen in my neighborhood. It can possibly happen to my kid. It is happening. I know. Okay. I've been involved in anti-trafficking for almost 16 years. I've been working here specifically in the Denver area for eight years. And I speak with law enforcement, you know, district attorneys who convict these cases, you know, all the FBI, all these people who give us the data. It's happening in every single city in the Denver metro area. Hmm. So don't think that your neighborhood is exempt or your kid is exempt because of privilege or because of a wealthy neighborhood or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they're not. And so we got to, we really need to wake up to that reality. 
Now, for people who don't live in Colorado, which, you know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of listeners all over the place, too. So oh, I, okay. I'm assuming it's it's happening everywhere. Yep. You know, Absolutely. regardless of what state you're in, maybe even regardless of what country you're in. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's it's all over. There's not a country that it's not happening in. Okay. There's not a state that it's not happening in. And it doesn't matter if you live in the inner city, the suburbs, rural areas. It's really all over the place. Wow. I mean, truly, it truly is. And it, you don't have to listen to me just because I'm spitting out this information. This is These are facts. And pretty much in all of the at least major cities, there's some type of task force or organization that is raising awareness about the reality of it in that area. And so I just encourage people wherever they are to find that in their state and learn more about it, learn more what it, about what it looks like in your state. Cause it does look different in, in different States and different cities. It looks different in the rural communities and it does in the inner cities. And that'll help you just be a little bit more informed about it. We know that there are people that are intentionally doing this. They're intentionally grooming. They're intentionally hurting. Mm-hmm. Are there, industries and or groups of people in general that are supporting this industry passively. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me just speak to that really quick because when I'm talking about the grooming, you know, we're, we're really talking about the, the traffickers, the pimps, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But the reason that sex trafficking of minors is around is because there's a demand for it. There are people out there and the facts are 99% of the buyers are men. Mm-hmm. These men are demanding there's a demand for sex with children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we don't talk enough about. We talk a lot about the the victims. We talk about, we talk more about the traffickers and the pimps, but we've got to start talking more about the men who are purchasing sex with children mm-hmm. because if there wasn't a demand, there wouldn't have to be a supply. I've worked with other people who are very familiar with the connection between pornography and sex trafficking. I have read a lot of research regarding men who do buy sex with children. One study showed a study by 100 men and 100 of them had started off with pornography hmm. and then moved to real life with children. Wow. And and is that the case with everybody that watches pornography? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But for people to to make it a black and white thing and say Pornography is just a victimless crime and it has nothing to do with sex trafficking and exploitation. That's not true. And then to say, you know, my opinion, this is my opinion on it. Not everybody, you know, likes this. Then to say that everybody in pornography is a victim of sex trafficking. I can't say that either. If they're a minor, absolutely. Hmm. Minors involved in any commercial sexual activity, absolutely a victim of sex trafficking. Are there probably some women and men, you know, that are involved in pornography that want to be there. Yes, we'd have to look deeper into, you know, maybe why they why they want to be there. But pornography is full of exploitation, sex trafficking, and it's really disturbing when you actually hear stories. There's lots of stories of women who came out of pornography and they talk about just the horrifying details of what happened hmm. off screen that people don't see and how they were manipulated, exploited and absolutely trafficked. There's, yeah. you can't deny it. I'm not here to judge people, but it's like, I wanted that to be in the back of your mind. If like, if that's something you're like, Oh, whatever, no big deal. I don't care. I'm just going to go look anyway. Think about that. Yes. Like you might be looking at someone who is being exploited and abused. Yes. That's you're just only seeing what they're yeah. forced to look like or be like, 
on camera on that screen. You're not seeing what's happening behind the scenes. You're yeah. not getting all the details. That's the scariest part of it is it's too fantasy. You're not seeing the reality. Yeah. When I, I tell people, when they ask like, well, what can I do to help? One of the things I, I put out there is, hey, if you are a man or a woman who is addicted to pornography, get help. Yeah. Seek help for that because that is not only damaging maybe your personal relationships, but you don't know if you're watching somebody who is actually being being trafficked and, and most likely you are. Wow. Mm-hmm. You founded Extended Hands of Hope. Yeah. What led you down this path? I mean, what caused you to say, okay, I have to help? I grew up without my my dad around. And mm-hmm. so that was like a really had some extreme kind of implications and repercussions to that. And and I was one of those girls who mm-hmm. was completely broken, alone, sad. And I was looking for love in all the wrong places is what I, what I tell people at, at a very young age. And I had just a lot of hardships growing up. And when I was a young teenager, I was sexually assaulted. When I was 17, I was raped by a stranger in downtown Denver who just left me on the streets afterwards. I grew up in my teenage years around gangs, a lot of fighting, drinking, drugs. People wouldn't know it now. Thank God he's changed my heart and my life. But I mean, I was expelled from every school in the Denver area because of my violent behaviors. I mean, I was really just, I was just a broken, broken young girl Mm -hmm. and went through, like I said, a a lot of sexual offenses, honestly, in my, in my teenage years, when you're, when you're around gangs and when you're around a lot of that, it's kind of the norm. Mm. It just expected of you and you don't think anything of it. You don't even think it's wrong or abusive. It's just, it's your environment. It's your life. When I was around the age of 18, 19, I started going to church. My mom brought me to church and I remember going there. I was still like, you know, hungover from the night before, but long story short there, I, I was uh, introduced to the pastor's son at this church that I was going to, and I was sexually exploited by him through Mm -hmm. this church. And it was a horrible, horrible time of my life because Mm -hmm. not only now was it this physical, you know, abuse and and sexual abuse and emotional abuse, but now there was this spiritual abuse level that was on top of it. And it was, it was a really hard time, but God miraculously brought me out of that. And he started healing my heart. And, and I knew that I started healing when I was no longer focused on all of the pain that I was feeling and all of my brokenness. And I started having this compassion for other young girls that had gone through similar things that I had gone through. And I I just started caring so much about what was going on in our world and the millions of people that every day, even as we're doing this podcast, are being abused, they're they're being exploited, they're oppressed, they're dealing with injustice, they're enslaved. I mean... I don't ever want to be a Debbie Downer, but that's the reality. And I started thinking about them and just my heart was just drawn to mm. being able to help. And I specifically wanted to, I wanted to be, it's going to make me cry. I wanted to be a missionary and I wanted to just, I just wanted to show people that, Hey, you know, you're, you maybe went through this. You didn't deserve to go through that. 
But I can tell you right now that you may be in the your lowest of low in the darkest pit. And I promise you that God can heal you and he can bring you out of it because I felt that myself and I've experienced it myself. And I wanted to just do what I could to help people. So I ended up taking some trips and in 2004, I went to Pattaya, Thailand, which is about 62 miles Southeast of Bangkok. And that trip just rocked my world. And I was only there for nine days. And I tell people, I'm like, I did absolutely nothing to change Thailand. Like nobody there remembers me. I didn't do any anything, but it impacted me so profoundly. And we worked with the women in the red light district. When I was there, 70% of the population was involved in prostitution. And wow. so it, it's what you would consider a sex tourism town. So everywhere you look, you know, there's Thai women and children, and then there's Western men everywhere. That's where you go when you want to have a sex vacation mm. and you take two weeks off of work and you fly there and, you know, everything goes there. Mm. And it was the most disturbing, disturbing trip. And I just remember falling on my knees in the middle of one of the streets in, in Pattaya. Like I was just devastated. And I was heartbroken and and I thought, you know, look at all these women and children being abused and being exploited and being trafficked. And I just can't be okay with this because even though sexual assault on a child, rape on a child, any of those offenses are absolutely horrifying. I couldn't fathom the fact that not only are they going through that, but somebody else is like financially gaining from that sexual abuse. That was just so disturbing to me. And so I came back to Colorado and I thought that I was going to move back to to Thailand and, you know, save Thailand. And God had other plans for me. And I was stuck around here. I took a couple other trips. I went to, to Haiti um, right after the earthquake. And I went to the Dominican Republic and I saw and heard stories about trafficking that was happening there and children just being kidnapped and used and nobody's watching them. And it's just really sad to think about all these defenseless children all around him. Anyways, I, you know, I was back in Colorado and, and I was just planning every day for, this is, you know, 15, 16 years, just planning on what I was going to do. And I had this vision in my heart. I mean, I saw it very clearly of a home, a shelter for girls that had been recovered out of sex trafficking. And I thought it was going to be a Thailand and I was speaking to people over there and I was going to go back over there and try to open up a shelter and just doors kept closing all the time. Then I started learning about trafficking in Colorado, probably about eight years ago. Hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to go to Thailand to, to help victims of trafficking. Like I can do something in my, in my own backyard, mm-hmm. in my own community there was a lot of work to be done. And I, I started, I took, you know, a year or so and just kind of did a, what I would call a needs assessment. And I tried to meet with everybody I could to just understand what the need was here. What were the gaps in service for these girls? What did, what did sex trafficking look like here? And over and over and over again, everybody, FBI, law enforcement, social services, all the people I met with, they were like, we don't have any home for these girls. Wow. When we get these girls, you know, we recover them out of a hotel. I remember one 15 year old girl, they, they, you know, rescued her out of a hotel room and she was being trafficked and there was no place for her to go. And so they were bringing these girls to jail. They were bringing them to detention centers or they were letting them go. I remember having a conversation with another person who worked with Lakewood chief of police. And they said, 
we know 14 girls right now in Lakewood that we know are being trafficked, but we have no place to bring them for treatment or yeah. for safety. So we just leave them. We don't do anything to help them. And wow. I just thought that was just disturbing yeah. and awful. And so basically I was like sitting around in a meeting. Let's open up a home. Let's mm. just do it. And I was like, maybe this is the, you know, the vision that I had. Maybe this is the time. And I didn't know what in the devil I was getting myself into when I just raised my, like literally raised my hand and was like, let's do this. I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah, sure. It was like a lot crazier of a ride, a lot harder of a ride than I thought. But I just thought this is just unacceptable that, that we don't have a place. And so that's how Avanti House was started. You know, Avanti means forward in Italian. Mm. And way before Extending Hands of Hope, well, I was a leader for a girl's Bible study at my church and, and we called it Avanti. And so mm. that's kind of where I got the name from. Cool. But yeah, so just started with the Avanti house and originally we were just going to be an emergency shelter, but then we realized that these girls don't have anywhere to go long-term. So we switched things up and we've grown so much. It's been a little over six years now and it took about three years to, to actually get the home open because it was such a nightmare. But yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm really, really proud of our program and the work that we're doing. And there's so much more work to be done. I think that's the problem with me is I'm never satisfied, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm always thinking about the next thing and, Understood. and that gets me in trouble. But I yeah. just keep thinking about all the, all the girls out there and all the times we have to say no. And I don't like having to say no to these girls. So yeah. Well, that's where you will be able to expand eventually and yeah. be able to say yes mm-hmm. to those needs and stuff. I totally understand where you're coming from personality wise. You know, there's always something new. You're never really content. I think mean, you're content, but it's like, it's not like, it's not done yet. There's more. Yeah. I got to keep going. I have that same drive. So I totally understand that. Not everybody does, but right. the world needs people like us to continue to work on these things that others are unwilling to do. So yeah, it's true. Extended Hands of Hope is amazing. I mean, really what you guys are doing is incredible. So thank you for sharing that story, by the way. I, I didn't even know that whole story. Oh, okay. And it was, cool. wow. So thank you. I'm sure it's not yeah. easy to share that. No, thanks for letting me. Can you share any stories though of some of the girls? I know, I know like from a safety perspective, privacy perspective, all of that, you can't say names and that's totally fine. So mm-hmm. just any stories of how some of the girls have overcome this horrible trauma in their lives and are now doing well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we kind of have a motto at Extending Hands of Hope where we really celebrate the small successes because people ask us, well, how many uh, girls are, you know, their lives are changed and are they living independently and do they have jobs now? And I'm like, uh, you're talking about a 12 year old. So no, they're not out living independently after they're with us and and going back to this long journey, a lifelong journey of healing and, and considering all of the factors that are in their lives. So we like to celebrate a lot of the small successes because that's where we really see the sparks of healing that are kind of being ignited. But it was super cool thinking about one of the girls that was with us. I was out at a restaurant last year and I was out for breakfast and I saw this girl and she was the hostess. And I was like, oh man, I recognize her so much, but I can't remember who she is. Mm -hmm. And so I saw her looking at me and I knew that she knew me as well. And, you know, after a couple of minutes, I went up and I was talking to her and I was like, how do I know you? And she was like, oh, I'm so-and-so. I I was at Avanti house. And I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't (laughs) believe because I went back to the way that 
this girl was at Avanti House. She had she had a lot of trauma, a lot of things going on in her, in her young life, and she had been at so many different homes. And it was so cool because I I remember you know when she left Avanti, she was just like a different girl. I mean, she had just changed so much. And a lot of what we do at Avanti is one we try to show them because none of the girls self-identify as victims of trafficking. Okay. Oh, really? Of, correct. In- interesting. They, they do not self-identify as victims of trafficking. I think it's important to understand that wow. this sex trafficking is not terminology that these girls use. Okay. Huh. Going back to my story, I never reported any of the things that happened to me. When you're in that lifestyle and that's your norm, that's just your normal. That's hmm. your life. That's your familiar. And so you're not thinking about the terminologies like we're thinking about them. And so part of what we do is we try to show them, hey, what you went through was abusive. Okay. What you went through was not was not right. So that they can identify it if it they're approached with it again, they can see that this is not something healthy for them. But part of what we do at Avanti is we try to teach them coping skills, right? Because with that trauma comes a lot of trauma response, meaning what other people would consider bad behavior or being out of control or not following rules is really what you would call a trauma response. Yeah. And it means that they're responding to things out of the trauma they've been through, not as a normal kind of healthy child who's developed in a healthy way, they're developing out of their trauma. And so we teach them a lot of coping skills and recognizing their triggers and all that kind of stuff. And the reason I bring it up is because that was what we did a lot with her there is tried to teach her, hey, instead of punching holes in the wall when you get angry, let's identify some coping skills that are healthy for you and are constructive for you. And it just was so cool that when she left, you know, it was like when she would get upset, she's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do one of my coping skills that we've talked about. And I'm going to go walk outside, you know, walk around the house and, and breathe instead. And for us, that is like the most amazing thing. Like if we can teach them that, and they can take those with, I need to teach myself coping skills. So it's like, (laughs) I think we all probably should sit down and and teach that lesson. But it was so cool because when I saw her at the restaurant, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, she just, she looked amazing. She sounded different. She just sounded healthy, you know, if if that even makes sense. Like she she had joy and it was so crazy because I didn't even recognize her and it was not that long ago after she left. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool because not only, did she look and sound different, but she, she had a job, you know, like yeah. that, that was so cool. And, you know, we've had other girls that we had one girl, we, this is another thing that people don't understand, but we mostly work with girls that were born and raised here in Colorado. But every once in a while, we will work with girls that are either from another state or from another country. And we unfortunately had this girl who was, she was trafficked by cartel in a different country at the age of 10 her and her mom fled that country and they made it to Colorado where she was raped at the age of 13 and became pregnant by a 29-year-old. This county that she came from, they needed to do an emergency placement. They wanted to put her somewhere safe. She was Spanish speaking. She had a head full of lice when she came to us. Oh, wow. Like It was a really hard case. And so we were able to take her in the house that night and and for two weeks, she stayed under her blanket and she just bawled her eyes out just mm-hmm. nonstop and she wouldn't eat. She was pregnant and she, you know, she was young, she was 13 and we were trying to get her to eat at least for the baby. And, 
And I mean, she literally just would not talk to anybody. She wouldn't shower anything for two weeks. Mm. After that two weeks, you know, after us just continually trying to support her, we brought in Spanish speaking, you know, translators and, and mentors, volunteers to come in and just help us to be able to communicate with her. And, and after two weeks, she slowly started coming out of her room and coming downstairs. And only after a couple of months, she was just full of life. She was like, every time I'd go to the house, she was laughing, mm. giggling, being a sassy little, you know, teenage girl, <laughs> just how you want them. And it was just so cool because, I mean, she, her whole demeanor and attitude just changed. And she learned some English while she was with us. And she actually had her baby and her baby stayed in the home with us for mm. a couple months so that we could just kind of help support her during that time. And we were able to help her, her mom, who was having difficulty kind of getting access to resources that they need. And she ended up transitioning out of Avanti and going to her mom's and then being enrolled in our community program and our community advocate. Tessa was able to meet with her all the time and continue to support her and her baby's doing so well now and healthy and and she's doing great. And so, I mean, we get to see those kind of stories all the time. Yeah. So I, I'm just really proud mostly of our staff because we have incredible staff. Just constantly show love, care, incredible patience with these girls. And the idea behind it is to show them, you know, you did not deserve to be abused. Yeah, This is not your fault. There is hope for healing. And there are people out there that want to care for you and who love you and they don't expect anything in return. And I think that's like our biggest message that we try to show these girls. Wow. You know, you mentioned the word restoration and I mm -hmm. think that's just amazing. I, I think restoration eludes a lot of people for some reason you know, through my experiences and just observing others too, it's like people don't really understand what restoration looks like and also how to help others to restore. Mm -hmm. And it's neat to yeah. see that. So not only are you seeing, you know, transformation with these girls, but you're seeing mm -hmm. healing and then you are seeing restoration. And I think it's easy to, you know, for someone to say, okay, I need to heal through this time. Everybody goes through trauma in some way or another in their life. Some worse, obviously. Right. But people go through healing well, hopefully not always. I was going to say some people never yeah. go through healing and I see that and, and it yeah. destroys them and eats them away for the rest of their natural life, unfortunately. But when the people go through healing, I think one key aspect to healing is restoration. And I think a lot of people and programs and professionals, they miss the whole restoration part. Right. And I don't see that very often. It's right. very rare to see someone who is truly restored from a traumatic experience in their life. Yeah. And so the fact that you're doing that, it's amazing. Yeah. Trying to do that. Well, I Again, mean, you're, you're it, attempting it. Takes it. Time, but that's the goal. You know, that's the ultimate goal is that they can be restored back to that innocence, restored back to yeah. that childhood, restored back to that place of not that they're impure at all, but where they're just in this kind of pure, innocent mm -hmm. state as yeah. a child should be. Yeah. Well, and you know, of course, they're never going to forget it. It's not right. something that you can erase from their life. And I think mm -hmm. that's something for everybody to remember too, is that you can't forget what happens, mm -hmm. but no. it's overcoming. And I think that's the, mm -hmm. you know, it's for them to overcome and it's for you to help them to heal and to be restored. And that's awesome. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, you, you're right. You do not forget things like this that you go through, but they don't have to define the rest of your life and you can actually yeah. get to the point it's hard at the you know at their age to be able to see that right but that's our job you know our job is to show them 
that they can heal from this. They, there is hope for their healing and that although this can be something that was done to them, that they went through, it doesn't have to continue on throughout their life. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, sometimes we see, you know, it doesn't have to continue from generation to generation. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. it, can, it can stop with you and you can move forward and it's going to be hard as hell, but you yeah. can do it yeah. and we're going to be here to help you. I love that. It doesn't define them. It's so true. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting how much, you know, for over three years, I've talked about unleashing your superhero. That's something that I am uh, like a passionate about here on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm always talking about people need to unleash your superheroes and, you know, and we have a choice to do it. And, you know, there are so many small ways we can do that, like holding the door open for someone. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so easy to unleash our superhero, but right. to hear what you're doing is like the prime example of what I mean by people unleashing their superhero. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is amazing to hear what you're, what you're doing. I hope it's an inspiration and not only an encouragement, but an empowerment for each of us to say, okay, we're going to hold the door open for people regardless, but what else mm-hmm. can we do here on this earth while we're here to profoundly change lives? Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of people don't care. Sadly. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to, they want to make it as selfish and as easy as possible Mm-hmm. it's too bad, but sure. the rest of us, they're missing out. They're they missing. are They're. I love that. They're missing out. That's so true. They really are. Yeah. Because if you think about it, when you're profoundly changing someone's life, you have more joy than you could possibly imagine. And when yeah. you are selfishly keeping it easy, you know, you might be sort of happy. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I right. don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe in front of others, but yeah, not always behind the scenes. So thank you for what you do. Really? Thanks. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We we wouldn't yes. be able to do anything without people like you and, oh, well, and thank Sarah. You. So thank you so much for financially supporting us. Oh, of course. Well, and I hope that, you know, having you on the show also gets the word out. I mean, that's another thing like, and I've told you this, I'm like, I, I wish we could do more financially, but you know, I'm not a rich person, which sucks, but <laughs> it's I'm what it is. But this is my way of being able to say, okay, well, if I can't do more financially, I can at least get the word out. Not mm-hmm. only, you know, and, and again, I've mentioned this, not everybody that listens to the show lives in Colorado. There's, there's a lot of people from all over the world that listen to the show. So, right. you know, they can support you. And mm-hmm. in fact, I would encourage those of you who are like, Hey, how do I support, you know, extended hands of hope, like do it. But if you're like, yeah. Hey, you know what? I love this message and I want to support someone locally. If there is someone, then I would encourage listeners to do that as well, because you know, it's a worldwide thing. So that's, I I wanted to spread the message of what's really going on. How do we get in touch with you, Extended Hands of Hope and all of that? You can go to our website, extendedhandsofhope.org. The best place to kind of stay up to date with everything is on Facebook. We do a lot of our updates on Facebook. So Extended Hands of Hope Colorado on Facebook. And then if anybody wants to reach out to me, directly my email kristen k-r-i-s-t-e-n at extendedhandsofhope.org all right all of those links will be in the show notes kristen thank you so much i really appreciate this and appreciate your time and and again i appreciate what you do oh thank you so much i appreciate you wow this is incredible stuff i really do hope this changed your life a bit it certainly has changed mine already oh my gosh their organization is amazing and i would ask this and by the way kristen did not ask me to say this i'm saying this on my own accord though consider supporting extended hands of hope somehow. I don't know where you're at right now financially. I'm sure some of you may have lost work, you know, with everything that's going on right now. So if you can consider supporting them, extendedhandsofhope.org. Even if you just want to send a message to Kristen, I have her email. It'll be in the show notes. 
just send her an encouraging message, you know, give her some encouragement to say, keep this going. Don't give up, you know, because I know it's tough what they're doing, but all of those links, their website, their Facebook group, Kristen's email, that will all be in the show notes. Go to realbryanshow.com slash 229. And again, forget the number, just go to Real Brian Show. It'll be obvious which one it is. So check that out. All right. You know what the music means. Thank you for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Join us on Friday. We have, of course, an amazingly fun episode. You know, the whole point of Fridays, kick back, relax, no agenda, no format, end your week right. But in the meantime, you have a good rest of your week. We'll see you on Friday and we'll see you next Monday. Of course, this is The Real Brian Show. Signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.